First Peter chapter one. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna read this whole section just to to remind us of where we are in Scripture. Uh, this section of Scripture is in the original language from verse 3 to 12. It's kind of one long sentence, which is interesting. And uh, you've, we've been learning about that. If you haven't heard uh, the last couple weeks, I would encourage you to go back to the podcast and listen. Listen, this podcast is a really good resource for us. Uh, I listened to it this week. Uh, again, uh, the, the after the sermon ends that they do every single week that they record is really cool, awesome, helpful, honestly, uh, to go a little deeper in the scripture. Thank you, uh, Josh the River Richards. Thank you, uh, Marcus Patrick Donaldson, and everybody else that's a guest on that podcast. It's a great resource for us here at City Church. But just a quick recap, Peter's writing to Christians that are being persecuted, right? And, and these Christians are all over Northern Asia Minor, and they're, they're being persecuted for their faith specifically. And Peter's writing to encourage them because in this time, Christians were, were really viewed as traitors. Like they, they were opposed to the Roman rule and government and values, like the, the very value system that the Romans are trying to employ, Christians were opposed to. So they weren't they weren't exactly loved. In, in fact, they were persecuted harshly because of their beliefs in the way that they were. And, and so Peter is writing to them to encourage them to continue, continue in the faith, continue rejoicing in the hope that you have in Jesus. Continue to rejoice. You already are, and keep doing it. Rejoice in the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And here we are in, these, in this awesome song of, of worship and and praise, and we see that, that Peter is describing uh, the, their worship, but he's also describing sort of why. Like, look at how big this salvation is. Look at how great. Like, remind yourself. Remind yourself that, that the prophets studied it and examined it deeply, even when they couldn't see fully what was to come. And and, and remember that the Holy Spirit inspired those words from the prophets. And, and remember that the apostles preached this good news and, and this message of salvation. And, and, and look, the angels are, are looking on to, to see this message of salvation and the workings of grace in the world. This, this is kind of this picture that Peter's painting for us here at the end of this section and it's, it's of great encouragement to the Christians in that day, but it's also of great encouragement to us today as well. He reminds us of those four wonderful truths about this great salvation. If you like to write in your notes, uh, I'll give you these four, because the rest of the time, I'm, I'm kind of going to be cruising, and it's not going to be as clear probably what to take notes about. So I'll just give you these four things that kind of outline the text, and then I'll uh, just keep moving. But... Peter reminds us of, of these four truths about this great salvation. Number one, the prophets studied it. The prophets studied it. The Holy Spirit inspired it, number two. The apostles preached it, number three. And the angels celebrate it, number four. Repeat, prophets studied it. Holy Spirit inspired it. The apostles preached it. And the angels Celebrate it. That's what I'm going to preach, but it's most likely not going to be that clear. So I'll give you that at the top, and then we're going to keep going. First Peter chapter one verse three. Let's read this whole section together, and it'll be on the screen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He 
caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. You who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. These things into which the angels long to look. Peter's writing about this great salvation. The prophets prophesied, they studied it, they, they dug into it to try to understand it, and they They wrote down the words that the Holy Spirit inspired through them. And and then we see the apostles preaching this good news and, and others after the apostles standing on their teaching and preaching the good news beyond them. And then he ends this section, but there's this little, there's this little phrase about the angels long to look. Of this salvation, the angels long to look. It's like this phrase is kind of painting this picture of the angels looking on from heaven like reaching down to see what's going on in the story of redemption the grace that we have received by faith in Jesus the angels long to look on what a beautiful part of scripture we're studying today and I'm going to start with a question that is hopefully going to frame up our time and and maybe even challenge you as we consider this great salvation. And that question is for the Christian in the room. Are you grateful for what you have? Are you grateful? Are you grateful for this salvation? Are you grateful for this inheritance? Like how how are you doing in the gratitude category today when you come before this truth that you've been saved by grace, through faith. And it was not of your own doing, but it was a free gift from God, a free gift that that we should be grateful for. That honestly, we don't have anything else really to bring but gratitude. Are you grateful today? 
Many great godly men of old longed and searched for what we are experiencing today. I want to take us a little bit further back, a couple thousand years ago, to think about the, the prophet, even before, like 2,700 years ago, to, to put ourselves in the shoes of the prophets that were writing these words about someone that they couldn't see and they didn't know. and They weren't fully understanding what this prophecy that was being delivered to them that they were delivering to the world meant but they longed for this they they wanted to understand it. it peter says they searched carefully and inquired about it and if there were prophets of old who inquired and searched carefully for for what we now experience and what we have in our possession Shouldn't our gratitude reflect at least a portion of what they longed for and, and did not have? In fact, our gratitude should reflect far more than what they were feeling when they were writing about what they didn't have because we are experiencing this grace. We're experiencing this salvation. And this is the picture of what, what Peter's teaching and painting for us today is Christ and his cross are the center of the universe. Christ and his cross is at the center of everything. The cross of Christ stands in the middle. Like everything revolves around this moment in redemptive history. When, when redemption was paid by his blood, it's, it's central like everything, no matter where it is in history, past, present, future, it's pointing to this moment and this person and this suffering that accomplished redemption. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins. He didn't, he didn't have to go multiple times. He didn't have to go once a year. He didn't have to go multiple times a year. He didn't have to go make penance in the little room a lot. He, he went once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. The righteous in place is as a substitute for the unrighteous. That he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. This is what we preach. We preach Christ and Him crucified. Him, him, him risen and reigning forevermore. We preach this because this is our hope. That the one, the righteous one, stood in the unrighteous people's place to bear the penalty that we deserved. The prophets, get this, the prophets could only announce, he will come. He will come. Just keep looking. Look on the horizon. He's coming. He will come. But we can announce Today, don't miss this, we can announce, we, all Christians, can announce from our vantage point that he has come, and when he came, he accomplished what he came for, and he's risen, ascended to heaven, and he's coming back again to put all this back in order, and to make it right. This is our announcement. All of history, past, present, future, revolves around the cross of Christ. And, and even, I want you to see this too, because this will help you. I remember when this unlocked something in my mind. When, when somebody taught me this, it, it, it unlocked my mind when I was studying Scripture. The whole Bible points to Jesus. 
Every bit of it. I get it. Jesus, the cross of Christ, is the center of the Bible. Every book points to Jesus. In every book, you will find Christ when your eyes have been opened to Christ and what he's done on the cross. You will see him in every book. And this is, this is huge for us when we're announcing his good news. Because whether we're in Genesis or Jonah or Daniel or the Psalms, we can find him and we can see that it all points to him. So consider this for me. Just go with me for a second. If you were shipwrecked on a deserted island and there, there were unreached people there on this island and you got off the boat and you realized that your whole Bible was washed away except for Leviticus, you have enough there to lead them to Jesus. You see what I'm talking about? The whole thing points to him. He's in the middle. He's in the, he's in the fabric. He's everywhere. Look for him when you study scripture. Look for him when you're reading your Bible plan and you can't get through Leviticus. Look for him. You might be deserted one day with unreached people and only have Leviticus, so it'd be helpful to look for him. Christ is in every book. He's in every book. He's all over the scriptures. And, and the cross of Christ is central to the salvation of humanity. Peter speaks of it here in verse 11 in our text today as the sufferings of Christ. Do you remember that? We can put it back on the screen. The spirit of Christ in them, in, in the prophets, predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glory. So, so this was predicted, the sufferings of Christ. What, what's he talking about? What are, what are the sufferings of Christ that the spirit of Christ predicted? It, it, the sufferings of Christ leading up to the cross and all the way through the cross, Christ suffered. He took on God's wrath. He bore the weight of our guilt and our shame, our sin. It was on Him. And you can't remove the sufferings of Christ from the gospel and still have the gospel. I want to say that. Like, you, you can't take the sufferings of Jesus out of the gospel and still have the gospel fully intact. Because the, the, the gospel must include what Christ bore. Because our deepest need is forgiveness of sins. And without the sufferings of Christ, we can't have forgiveness of sins. With, without him bearing the penalty in our place as our substitute, we cannot become the righteousness of God in him. The one who knew no sin became sin that we who believe in him might become the righteousness of God in him. But we can't omit the sufferings that he endured. We can't omit the sufferings that put him to death. This is the heart of the gospel, and without it, there's no gospel at all. Christ had to suffer, and it's the heart of our gratitude that how could God in flesh suffer and die when I was supposed to be on that cross? How can it be? 
how can it be that he was in perfection? He was in heaven, like in perfection. The uncreated one humbled himself by taking on the form of a servant, taking on flesh and and being found in the likeness of man, Philippians 2 tells us. And and he, he became obedient. He humbled himself. He didn't count equality with God, a thing to be grasped up here in perfection. And he condescended down like, how can it be? I was supposed to be there. I don't deserve this. This is grace. This frames up our worship. This frames up our days. This, if we start our days under this truth, it changes everything. It produces a rejoicing, a gratitude. The Spirit of Christ predicted the sufferings of Christ. I spent some time there because I find that astounding that that the Spirit of Christ, which God, we've sang this, we're teaching this, we know that, that God is Trinity. He's, he's three in one, Father, Son, Spirit. The Spirit of Christ is, is, is God, is the Holy Spirit. And, and Peter chose to write it this way on purpose. The Spirit of Christ was with the prophets when he predicted the sufferings of Christ. Like, <laughs> So just come, come with me for a second. The Spirit of Christ was there with the prophet Isaiah when the prophet Isaiah penned the 53rd chapter of his book 700 years before the cross. Have you ever read Isaiah 53? We're going to if you haven't. And we're going to read the whole book. And we're going to do it because we've got to understand that the Spirit of Christ was there. This plan wasn't unfolding before God. This wasn't second half. Just humor me for just a moment. I like Georgia. I like football. I was watching, and then, you know, Tennessee came out the second half trying to make adjustments and didn't work. You know, like some, that's what measures, or that's the difference between great coaches and good coaches. They make great second half adjustments. But that has nothing to do with what God did when he sent Jesus. I think sometimes we might think, oh, God's watching everything kind of, become a mess and so he just said all right Jesus you're my best player get in there and run some wheel routes no that is not what happened this was the plan before the beginning of time this was eternity's plan like there was never a moment where this wasn't in the mind of God he knew how he was going to purchase redemption and the spirit of Christ was there predicting the sufferings of Christ with Isaiah when he wrote the 53rd chapter Of his book. Let's read that together. Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. I imagine. Isaiah might have been writing this down and asking God the whole way, who, who? He 
He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. This is not looking real good, you know, for the home team here. If I'm Isaiah, I'm like, okay, God, what are you going to do? Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs. Born, he's borne them like it, it already happened. He's, he's speaking of it as if it has already happened. <laughs> surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He already did it. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the punishment, the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed whose wounds whose whose wounds god like when's it gonna happen and and how's it gonna happen and is it gonna i can't I, if i'm isaiah i am so eager the Spirit of Christ is delivering this to me, and I'm delivering it to the world, and I'm honestly kind of uncertain about what I'm delivering because I can't fully understand it. But I'm longing, to, I'm searching it carefully. I'm, I'm investigating it carefully. Searching. This is what Peter, the language Peter gives us is the prophets were searching carefully. Put yourselves in their shoes for a moment to better understand. In verse 6, this is so real. This was 700 years before Jesus was crucified. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's my story. And the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. <laughs> he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent so he opened not his mouth by oppression and judgment he was taken away and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living stricken for the transgressions of my people who considered it and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death although he had done no like look at what he's predicting only the Spirit of Christ could predict this to this detail. Even to the grave that he would be laid in. Does it not stir you up? Although he had done no violence. Jesus didn't do any violence. And there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet. Yet. It was the Lord's will to crush him. He has put him to grief. Do you think Isaiah might have needed a break right there? I don't know. Maybe not. And maybe this isn't helpful for you, but I just want to try to get in there. Because if, if, I, if I hear that and I write that and I don't really understand it yet because I can't see it yet, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. I just want to point out to you that the Spirit of Christ must have been there because a normal person would not have confidence and faith, I don't believe, to pin it in those clear terms. I believe the Spirit of Christ was giving Isaiah confidence to trust and to, and to have faith in what was to come. This was my will to crush him. Yahweh's will was to crush him. That was the plan from the beginning. 
You know, we dealt with, with foreknowledge and election a few weeks ago. It's a very difficult doctrine to understand. And we've been talking about it for a couple weeks. And, and, and I love the, 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 the depth of conversations that we're having around things that are difficult. That, that for centuries, theologians have been arguing about. Like, we're not going to solve it. All right, it's fine. When we get to heaven, we'll know. We're dealing with this very real biblical issue that it was the Lord's, not an issue if that's negative to you, it's, it's a reality, that, that it was the Lord's will to crush Jesus before the foundation of the world. This was the plan. This wasn't a plan B. This wasn't a contingency. This was the plan. And when his soul makes an offering for guilt... He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Don't leave out what he bore. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death. And was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So that the Spirit of Christ gave the prophets the words to speak. This is just one example of that, but it's a beautiful example. It's one of my favorites. And, and the Spirit of Christ gave them the words to speak about the sufferings and subsequent glories of Christ. That's what Peter's writing about to us. And then we look at verse 12 of, of 1 Peter chapter 1 in our text today. The beginning of that verse says, It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. It was revealed to them. It was revealed to the prophets that they were serving not themselves, but they were serving the, the church. They, they were serving the future generations that would carry this message. They, they were bolstering our faith by prophesying about it from the Spirit of Christ hundreds of years before He actually died. This is for us today as well. The prophets were serving the church. That's what Peter's saying here. And I just imagine if you were Isaiah and you could, you could fast forward and you could read the Gospel of John. And you could read the, the, the whole Gospel narrative. And you, can, you could read about what actually happened to Jesus. And you could see how it was exactly what you said. And you could know that you didn't say that. Like, that came from the Spirit of Christ Himself. Just imagine if the prophet Isaiah could have been there. Imagine if he could be here with us today and he could see what's happening and he could see how we're standing with confidence on the apostles' teaching and how the apostles' teaching were informed by the prophecies and how the whole thing ties together perfectly. He had searched and inquired earnestly about this grace on which we stand. And here we are standing 2,700 years later. What a glorious reality. 
And Peter tells us the, the prophets searched and they inquired into this message of salvation. And then he goes on to say at the end of verse 12 that, that it's the salvation that angels long to look on. They long to see it. They, they long to understand the grace that they will never experience themselves, that they have no need to experience themselves. Think about the angels that, that have been involved in God's plan, His redemptive plan from the start. Like they, they were messengers of God the whole way. And they're, they're, they're not only watching it happen, but they're involved in it. Think about the two angels that were there at the... At the oh man, was it two or one at the grave? Just one sitting on the gravestone? We need to know that, Marcus. There were two guards and there was one angel... Is that right? Josh, I'm looking at you to help me, man. Josh the River Richards. Nobody's flipping there. I want to get this right. I really want to get this right. I think there was one angel. It's not integral to the message, but it's important that we get the Bible right. And so I'm making the point right here. And, and whoever is first is going to earn favor and, and a holy kiss from me at the end of this. Two angels. Oh, I was wrong, Jules. You are in favor. I won't give you a holy kiss, though. Maybe on your head. Yeah. Two angels dressed in white at the tomb after Jesus was gone, saying to the disciples, He's not here, for He is risen. Imagine these angelic beings with a front row seat, bringing messages of hope to real people about the grace that's going to save them. And they still long to look on this grace, this salvation. They can't experience it for themselves, but they've been in the game and they see it firsthand. And they long to look. And, and, and as we speak, they are gathered around the throne of God singing praise to him. Do you remember Revelation 5? Let's read verses 7 through 12 of Revelation 5. And, and he, the lamb, went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, and each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, pause. If we ever sing that song about incense, you know this is where it came from. It's not weird, okay? The song, okay, you don't know the song. The song is uh, worthy of it all. Day and night and night and day, let incense arise. I just want to help. I know it's a pause and it's a side, but I want to help you understand because I have a lot of people say, Jared, what in the world are you talking about incense for? This is why we're talking about incense, because it's symbolic. It's like prayers rising. The, the, there's a bowl, a golden bowl in heaven that's catching this, these prayers of the saints. That's what we see here in Revelation 5. Okay, so then after that, they sang a new song, and this is what they sang. This is the new song that they sang. This is the song that's going to be new forever, even though we're going to keep singing it. The new song. It's like new because the grace 
that we're experiencing and have experienced is so full and rich. This salvation is so deep that we're going to plumb the depths and never run out of new. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. In several weeks, we're going to talk about the royal priesthood. That's what that is. A holy nation. People for his own possession that that have been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That that we may proclaim these excellencies of him. And then John said, I looked and, and I heard from the throne and living creatures and the elders and the, and the voice of many angels. These angels that long to look, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. That's a lot of angels. And they were saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, glory. This is the song that they're singing. This is the song that we sing. And this is the song that we will sing. And it will be a new song. There, in, in the late 1800s, there was a story. This is a real, it's a true story, actually. I didn't make this up, I promise. And I'll tell you why in a little bit. But in the late 1800s in uh, the UK, there, were, there was a, a city boy who was on holiday in Scotland. You like how I said that? That's how they say it, on holiday. And he was there in this small, yeah, small rural town in Scotland. And there was this little lake and he wanted to take a swim. So he goes out on the lake and he swims across and swims back. He's like, I can do that again. So he swims again. And about halfway, a little, little more than halfway, he catches a cramp in his leg and he just locks up and he can't swim anymore. And he's going down. This is what all your moms warned you of, you know, especially if you grew up on Lake Lanier. Don't try to swim. I don't care how short that seems to you. It's longer than it feels, and you might catch a cramp. Okay. So he catches a cramp, and he's bobbing. He's, he's up and down. He's trying to trip. He's in so much pain, and he just, he just barely gets up enough to yell. And every time he gets up for air, he yells, help. And he's back down, and he's struggling. Help. And he's back down, struggling, thinking he's going to die. Thankfully, God had placed a farm boy around the same age in a nearby field who could hear his cry. And that farm boy ran across the field, jumped in the water, swam all the way to him, saved him, brought him back to shore, saved his life. Later, they ran into each other several years later. And the city boy was so thrilled to see the farm boy who had saved his life. And he asked the farm boy, what, what career did you choose? Like, what did you end up doing with your life? And the farm boy said, I chose medicine. I'm studying. I'm going to study medicine. I'm going to learn about medicine. And 
city boy's parents were very wealthy. And when they found out that the farm boy was wanting to study medicine, they decided to pay for his education, which was a very big deal. And so the farm boy went to school and was able to get his degrees and become a doctor and turned out to be a very successful doctor who actually discovered with two other people the miracle drug penicillin. And so the farm boy, who is now a doctor, ended up winning the Nobel Prize for discovering this antibiotic and and developing this antibiotic that saved so many people in the 1940s and 50s, and still we use it. That Scottish farm boy's name was Alexander Fleming. He later died in 1955. The city boy who Alexander Fleming saved, he became very successful as well, but a different kind of successful. He became politically successful. And during World War II, he contracted a life-threatening case of pneumonia, very, very sick. And when he went to the hospital, finally got to the hospital, on his last days potentially, they treated him with penicillin. The farm boy, Alexander Fleming, had now indirectly saved the city boy's life twice. That city boy's name was Winston Churchill. Arguably the most important, in my opinion, prime minister that the United Kingdom has ever had. Like he walked them through war times and significant times of history that Winston Churchill was able to lead through. Funny enough, Churchill won a Nobel Prize as well. Isn't it wonderful to save a life, to hear about somebody saving a life? Even more wonderful when you can save somebody's life twice. And even more wonderful at that when you can save somebody's life twice who's going to save multiple other people's lives through his efforts and his leadership. Amazing story. Now, if you're like me, when you heard that story, it did something in you like, wow, that's really cool. That's awesome. Only God could do that. Maybe you thought that. Or what a guy. Like, And I just wonder how that response, when you heard that story of Alexander Fleming saving Winston Churchill's life twice, I wonder if that response compares to the incomparable riches of the good news that has been granted to us by the prophets, through the Holy Spirit, from the apostles, the salvation of our souls. The fact that Jesus died in our place. How how does it compare? How does it compare to the way that we think about Christ's finished work on the cross? Psalm 96.2 says this, Sing to the Lord, bless His name, tell of His salvation from day to day. I love it, that's our song, Sing to the Lord and bless His name and tell of His salvation from day to day. Just tell it. Everywhere you go, just tell it. It, 
It's, it's worth that much to you. It changed your life very literally in the deepest part that you couldn't touch. It, it, it's your salvation that he purchased. So tell of it from day to day. There is nowhere to go beyond this glorious gospel. There's nowhere. There's nowhere else to go. There's, there's no reason for us to go anywhere else. Like we want to get beyond it, but there... We don't get beyond it because it is too magnificent. It is too deep. We will never run out of riches to explore. That's why the song is still new. So what, what do we do about this? What do we do with this? As we come to a close today, what do we do? I lied about it being 38 minutes, but I'm not far off. So what do we do about this? Our mission here if you haven't heard, is to make, mature, and send disciples of Christ. That's what we're doing. That's what we're going to do. That's how we're going to tell of this salvation, His salvation, from day to day. We're going to make, we're going to mature, and we're going to send disciples. So where does that begin? Where does it begin for you today? Where does it begin for me where does it begin at lunch? How does that look at lunch? The same way the good news was announced to you, you are to announce it to others. That's why we got this on the screen still, because I didn't even tell her, and she's great, and she knows. We're going to tell of this salvation from day to day. The same way that it was told to you, you are now to go and tell it. Romans 10, 14 through 17 says this, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Is he talking about me? Yeah. But is he also talking about you, Christian? Yeah. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. What do we need to preach the good news? We need to have been reborn, regenerated by grace, and then just open our mouth about it. And honestly, you could do it from Leviticus. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. Ooh, I wish we had more time on that one. For, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So, don't miss verse 17, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing. Do you need to model it? Yes. Do you need to act like it? Yes. Is your example important? Yes, and may I say, your example is important insofar as it matches the words that come out of your mouth if the words coming out of your mouth are the word of Christ, the gospel of your salvation. This is important for us if we're going to make mature and send disciples. I'm passionate about this because I think that this church can truly change this community and the world. If you've never repented of your sins and believed in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of those sins today, I want to tell you, today is the day of salvation. Come to Him 
in repentance and faith and trust in his finished work. Do it today and don't wait. Don't leave here without making that relationship right. If he's calling you, if he's pulling you in, drawing you in, repent and believe. May we celebrate this salvation that we've received by faith. As we take the Lord's Supper in just a moment, should have thought about that before I preached for this long, but as we celebrate what He has done, contemplate what He's done for you. Celebrate this salvation that you've received by faith. And may we announce the good news of Christ and His cross till the day that we die. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Father God in heaven, we're here for you. God, I thank you for your word. I pray that it sinks deeply into the hearts of your children today. I pray that it convicts and challenges where it needs to. I know that you do that in your strength and in your power and in your authority, and I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful it's not about me or my words, but it's all your strength and your power that's at work. We praise you as we honor you today. It's in Jesus' name.